This is the next to the last message in this series on the Sermon on the Mount. We'll finish next Sunday, Lord willing. A Charlie Brown cartoon kicks off our study this morning. Charlie and Lucy are lined up behind a bunch of other people, a bunch of other kids in particular, to see a movie. Lucy asked Charlie, have you been here very long? And he said, no, I just got here. Actually, I shouldn't be going to the movies at all. I have homework to do. But if it weren't for the fact that they were giving away candy bars, free candy bars to the first 1,500 kids, I wouldn't be here. Lucy's been listening to the ticket agent, counting off how many kids are there. And then she says, Charlie, do you mind if I get in line in front of you? They said, no, please do. Ladies first has always been my motto. I don't think this is a very good movie, and I just came because of the free candy bars to the first 1,500 kids. I really should be home doing my reading. But you know how it is when they give something away free. He continues to talk while she pays for her ticket. And then the ticket agent says, 1,500. And then says to Charlie, sorry, kid. That's the way it goes. The world is full of Lucy's. <laughs> the world is full of Lucy's. And we could easily use a few more of the Charlie Browns to show what the Bible calls the golden rule. Today in our text, Jesus adds even more weight of authority to his Sermon on the Mount by addressing what it means in practical ways to live the God life. That's been our theme in this whole series. For us to demonstrate how much we love God and how much we love other people. Because He first loved us. So we're going to look at four practical ways to live the God life this morning. Once we truly know Jesus as Savior. And the first of those ways is that golden rule. Verse 12. Treating others God's way. Therefore, However you want people to treat you, so treat them. For this is the law and the prophets. You'll notice if you have notes this morning that I referred to this uh, difference in living the God life as the 11th commandment. My purpose wasn't to take away from the value and importance of the Ten Commandments, the original Ten Commandments, but because Jesus says that this command is both the law and the prophets. That's an expression that's used in the Bible to refer to the entire Old Testament. The entire Old Testament can be summarized by what we call the golden rule in verse 12. And it's also a wonderful summary of the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. I like to think of it as the principle of blessing. If I'm willing to bless someone else, then I have an understanding of the God life. If I put Jesus first, others second, and myself last, then I have an understanding of the God life. We used to sing a chorus when I was a little kid. And it was just spelled, the title was just spelled J-O-Y. Jesus and others and you. What a wonderful way to spell joy. And that's really the theme here in this golden rule. 
The Old Testament and even the teaching of the Jewish rabbis and scribes and Pharisees was that of fair treatment for everyone. The importance of achieving what we might call today social justice. It's a big theme among a lot of religious people today. And for good reason. But many people like to point out that the golden rule, as they think of it, was already taught by religions prior to Christianity. But there's a big difference. Those religions that they're talking about taught it from a negative point of view, a passive approach, where Jesus teaches it as a positive command that's to be lived out actively in our lives. Let me give you an example. Buddhism. Buddhism taught, hurt not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Don't do to other people what you don't want them to do to you, in other words. Confucius used to teach, what you do not want done to yourself, do not do to others. Again, a negative approach. Jesus teaches something totally different. He teaches a positive approach to dealing with others. An active approach to impacting the lives of other people because we care about God, we care about what He teaches, and we care about other people whom He loves. Jesus wants His followers to know that just withholding evil is not enough. Doing good is God's way. You see, doing no harm to someone else is very different from the attitude that says, I will go out of my way to help this person. Let me give you an example. Driving a car. Something as simple as driving a car. If I'm following the rules of the road, the speed limit, etc., I'm not going to injure anybody else, probably. And not injuring somebody is a good thing, right? But it's not the same as stopping by the side of the road to help a stranded traveler. It's not the same as picking up a forlorn hitchhiker. So, in my opinion, there are three wrong interpretations or applications of the golden rule. This wonderful command of Jesus. One I would call the reversal, which is exactly what Buddhism and Confucianism and other religions have taught. And that is, don't do anything to others that you don't want done to yourself. That's a reversal of what Jesus is teaching. Another approach would be rebellion. Today somebody would call it the thug life. That is, I'll do it to someone before they do it to me. That's not what Jesus is talking about. And then there's the approach of repayment. I'm going to get back at them for what they did to me. That's not what Jesus is talking about. None of those interpretations, none of those responses are what Jesus talks about here. And they're certainly not the attitude of a person who's seeking to live the God life and to walk the narrow way. That's the second part of our outline this morning. Walking the narrow way. Look at verse 13. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many are those who enter by it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and few are those who find it. 
There is a hard way, Jesus says, but it leads to life. And there is an easy way, and lots of people take it, but it leads to destruction. Every person on the planet throughout all of history has had to come to a point sometime in their life when they choose either to walk God's way, the narrow way, or to walk the world's way, the broad way. That's a choice we make. True followers of the way know that Jesus is the way. He said in John 14:6, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The early Christians, in fact, were known as followers of the way. You can read about that twice in Acts chapter 19. But again, the difference is stark. The easy way, what we're calling in this series the good life, is all life outside of knowing Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior. Having a personal relationship with Him. But those who travel that road don't realize that it's actually the hard way. You see, the Bible says in Proverbs 13, verse 15, the way of the transgressor, the sinner, is hard. And it is. It's a hard way to go. Because you're trying, trying, trying to do something valuable with your life and to live a golden rule of some kind, but you're not able to do it because you don't have God's power working in you and through you. It just doesn't work. The narrow way, you see, starts with a choice to trust Jesus as my Savior from sin. And it leads to an even greater life beyond this life, an eternal life in heaven. So it's worth getting through that small gate. It's worth the struggle of walking purposely on the narrow path. You see, that narrow path is a life of discipline, it's a life of consistency, it's a life of laboring for the Lord instead of just for myself. All for the good of others and for the glory of God. A few years ago, Yahoo Travel put out a list of the most dangerous highways in the U.S. On that list, near the top, is a place called Tail of the Dragon. I've never been on it. It's a treacherous 11-mile stretch of highway in the Smoky Mountains on the border of Tennessee. This little stretch of road, and my wife would not want me driving this, contains 318 S-curves. One of them is named The Slide. (laughs) And we can only imagine the meaning behind that name. But the road that God's people travel on is nothing like that. It's called in the Bible the Highway of Holiness. Isaiah chapter 35, verse 8, the highway of holiness. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 7 tells us that God has called His people to holiness, sanctification, that's the same word, rather than impurity. The world is all into impurity. 
I just saw a video clip yesterday. I was telling someone this morning about this. A video clip of Paris, France, just this past week. And people who were throwing things out onto the highway to block traffic on one of the busiest sections of highway in the city of Paris. People angry at the system. They're into impurity of all kinds, including certainly not living the golden rule. The world would challenge Christians today, would challenge us with this statement, enjoy life while you can. When it's over, it's over. Grab all the gusto you can. Let yourself do your own thing. But Jesus would challenge us in a very different way. He would have us challenge the wrong thinking of the world. He would have us challenge even the false thinking of false teachers. People who profess to be believers, but their fruit doesn't match their work. We're going to spend most of our time this morning in verses 15 through 20. The third point of our outline this morning. Another way in which we can demonstrate that we're walking the narrow way is by challenging the false way, the wide way. Jesus says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. He mentions that twice in verses 15 to 20. You will know them by their fruits. And then he talks about you don't get grapes from thorn bushes, you don't get figs from thistles. Every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit. A bad tree cannot put out good fruit. Every tree that doesn't bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. We've had a few of those kinds of trees in our little orchard. They just don't seem to grow right and they don't seem to produce. And so we've taken them out of the ground or we've cut them down and put another one in its place. But again, twice Jesus says, you will know them by their fruits. The false prophets that Jesus is talking about here are fake. Fake in every way in their lives. Except people don't realize it until it's too late. They are in no way spiritually fruitful. They're not putting out any fruit at all. These pseudo-prophets make some outlandish claims and some constantly false prophecies, like this one from 1998, a group called the House of Yahweh was saying in 1998 that 80% of the world's population would be killed by nuclear warfare by the year 2001. How long ago was 2001? (laughs) You can do the math. An obvious false prophecy. But there are other teachings out there that are even more harmful than those kinds of silly predictions. There are false religious leaders who teach in so many words Let God save you in your sins. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to change your lifestyle at all. You can keep right on doing what you're doing. Just add Jesus to your repertoire and go about doing your own thing. 
live however you want to. It doesn't matter. But the Bible teaches, let God save you from your sins. He'll give you the power then to start walking the narrow way. Jesus wants His people in this passage to do their homework. Research what you hear. Pay attention to what's being told to you. Compare it with God's Word. Throw out the junk and keep the good stuff. Check everything you hear against the authoritative Word of God. So much that's being taught today is clearly unbiblical. And we need to like be like the Bereans in the early church who checked everything by Scripture. Even the, taught, the teachings of the great Apostle Paul. They didn't let that just ride by. They checked it all out with God's Word. Let me give you an example. If you hear someone claim that they have seen Jesus and that He's talked to them audibly and told them some important truth that nobody else knew, just them, you need to realize that's not biblical. The Bible says no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, Jesus, who's in the bosom of the Father, He has revealed Him. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 21 says, Examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. End of verse. What does that mean about the other stuff? Throw it away. Hold fast to what is good. Throw the other stuff away. It's not worth spending time with. We learned in a previous message that we are not to judge others. The opening part of chapter 7. In other words, we're not to label someone as fake or immoral based on our standards. But here the exact opposite is true. When it comes to false teaching, we are to examine their fruit. We are to make a judgment call. Because they are teaching something harmful to us and to others. We're to look at their fruit. And if we do, we will know at some point... It may be different in every case, but at some point we will know they are false. They are wrong. They are harmful. And it's going to be harmful to us and to others who want and need to know the truth. These false prophets will eventually reveal their true spiritual condition. They will eventually demonstrate by their lives that they enjoy sin instead of grieving over sin. A true child of God, even though we do sometimes still sin, will grieve over that sin. God, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That's against your, your laws and your commands and your, your desires for my life. I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm claiming your forgiveness. But these false prophets aren't like that. They could care less about God's rules. What they're looking for is a following. Secondly, they're looking for financial gain. This is true of all false teachers. They want to be famous. Their religion focuses on to-do lists. 
and they strongly emphasize to their underlings what you can't do. The interesting thing is, however, that their leaders don't hold themselves to the same standards. (laughs) They've got the to-do list and they've got the don't-do list and they don't follow either one. They play the game of church. They will not make themselves accountable to anyone. They want to do their own thing. They exhibit a great deal of pride. But all the while, they're hiding their real identities and their real intentions. If you want a specific biblical description of these false teachers, you need to read 2 Peter chapter 2. We won't take the time to read all the way through that this morning, but that whole chapter is about false teachers. And boy, is it descriptive. And of course, because it's God's Word, it's accurate. The book of Jude, one little chapter, is also about false teachers. You see, they've been around from the very beginning of the church. And even prior to that, in the Jewish culture, there were false teachers. But one of the things I've noticed, I've read a lot about some of the things they teach, I've read their stuff on uh, the internet, one of the things I've noticed is false prophets are always in it for the prophet. Always. Always. They are not into doing God's will in every way, every day. We're going to talk about that last, but let me give you a quote from the late A.W. Tozer. This is so good. It's very uh, direct to me as a preacher. And even though he uses the word preacher, I think he's talking about all Christians, really. He says this, We need preachers who preach that hell is still hot, that heaven is real, that sin is still wrong, that the Bible is God's Word, and that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That's what we need today. That kind of preaching is directly in line with God's Word. It can't be refuted. And we need to hear more of that. We need to stick to the clear truths of the Bible. We need to dig into God's Word and find there all of our answers to life's questions and the answers to the arguments against these false teachers. It's also there in God's Word where we will be able to find out what God's will is in every area of life. On the back of your notes this morning is an assignment. It says this, If you are asked this week, how do you think a person comes to God? Because I think there are many ways. And by the way, that's a very common question these days. A lot of people also think there are many ways. So the question is, if you're asked that, how do you think a person comes to God? Because I think there are many ways. Write down what you will say with Scripture, not with your own opinion. With Scripture. I challenged the men yesterday in our men's Bible study. We're going to be talking about verses 9 and 10 in the book of Titus chapter 2 about adorning the doctrine of God. And I challenged them to write out in a few sentences or a paragraph their own statement of faith about who God is. And I would throw that challenge out to you as well. We need to know who God is. 
We can't know everything about God. We have finite minds and He's an infinite God. But we can know a lot about God, can't we? The Bible is full of teaching about the nature and character of God and about what He's up to in this world He has created. We can know much. And by learning more and more and more about God, we can then refute the false teacher. Not just by saying, well, I don't agree, but by saying, here's what Scripture says. Here's what the Bible says. There's so much more I'd like to say about uh, false teachers and false prophets, and they are around today. Some of the uh, televangelists, so-called televangelists, aren't really doing much evangelizing at all. They're making uh, themselves very rich with their television programs. I'm not attacking people per se. I'm saying we need to be careful about what we're hearing. But most importantly, in verses 21 to 23, we need to be doing God's will in every way. Verse 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, Jesus says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. The people Jesus speaks about here in his sermon are those who have a profession, but not a possession of faith. They talk the talk, but that's all. When they stand before Jesus on that day, and I believe that's judgment day down the road, when they stand before Jesus on that day, they'll use the right vocabulary. Lord is a wonderful word when applied to God. Lord. They'll say it twice for emphasis. Lord. Lord. And then they'll boast about all the evidence that they've been doing God's work. Prophesying. Casting out demons. Working miracles, and by the way, Jesus doesn't refute their claim. So it probably is true that they were prophesying and casting out demons and working miracles. But instead, he says emphatically to them, Depart. Separate from me. Get away from me. And then those awful four words to such a fake person. I never knew you. What does he mean by that? I believe what he's saying there is, I never knew you in a personal, intimate way. I never recognized you as one of mine. That's serious stuff. Hell is at stake. Heaven is at stake. I never knew you. Only faith in Jesus Christ can save for all of eternity. Doing good works, even things as important as prophesying or casting out demons or working some kind of miracle, that doesn't get a person into heaven. Only faith 
in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Jesus here isn't talking about doing good deeds. He's talking about trusting in Him, him alone for our eternal security and our eternal destiny. So Jesus says that that eternal life is for the one who does the will of my Father. What does He mean by that? He, again, He's not talking about doing good works. Because salvation can't be earned by what we do. I believe he's talking about having that personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen to these words from Jesus in John chapter 6, verse 40. This is the will of my Father, he says, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life. That's the will he's talking about here in the Sermon on the Mount. Only such people will be allowed into heaven. Saying the name of Jesus, calling Him Lord, doing miraculous things, that's not going to cut it. That's not going to give us entrance into heaven. Only faith in Jesus Christ. So Jesus says, I never knew you. I never once Not even once did I give you recognition as one of mine. That's what he's talking about. Now these people did not lose their salvation. He didn't say to them, I used to know you. You see? They didn't lose their salvation. A true believer in Jesus Christ cannot lose their salvation. Otherwise, God has been lying to us all this time. And that's not the kind of God He is. He says, I never had that relationship with you. Mere belief in or mental assent to Jesus as a person or to God as God is not saving faith. James chapter 2 verse 19. You believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. They know who the real God is. But it's too late for them. And having a lawyer isn't going to matter in that day when we stand before the Supreme Judge. The American Bar Association in 2007 told us that 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 year there were two million lawyers in the United States. And they worked on 23 million lawsuits that year. Costing $200 billion in payouts. But it won't matter if you have a lawyer that day. The supreme judge of all the earth says to these false professors, Depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus knows those who are His. He knows them in a personal and intimate way. He knows everything about them. And He loves them. He loves you and me with an everlasting love. An anonymous writer wrote, A lie doesn't become truth. Wrong doesn't become right. Evil doesn't become good just because it's accepted by the majority. Most of the people of the world don't realize that. Yes, there are many on that road to destruction. 
only a few on the narrow way. But God knows who belongs to Him. And He desires that we walk with Him on that narrow way in close fellowship and that we demonstrate that we're His children by faith with the fruit of our lives, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, the fruit of blessing from God upon those who walk with Him. A very powerful verse as we close this morning comes from 2 Timothy 2.19. Nevertheless, the foundation of God stands having this seal. It's really a a two-part seal or a two-sided coin. The Lord knows those who are His and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from wickedness. He knows those who belong to Him. He knows us intimately. And He desires that we walk away from and separate from a life of wickedness by His power. This morning we're going to sing a song as we close called He Knows My Name. And I want you to realize that if we are children of God, young babies in Christ or older people in the Lord, we can know confidently that He knows us that He counts us as His own, that He recognizes who we are and that we are His children. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to bow in prayer before we sing and to examine your heart before the Lord to make sure that today is a day of salvation for you if you haven't ever trusted Jesus as your Savior before. Today is that day. Please bow with me in prayer before we sing. Father in heaven, we thank you that salvation and eternal life is possible. Not just possible, but it is a gift from you to those who by faith will trust what Jesus did for them on the cross and no longer trust in their good works, even though they may be religious works. God, I pray if there's someone here this morning who's never trusted Jesus as Savior before, that today will be that day when they say from their heart, God, I am a sinner, I know that. But I believe that Jesus died on a cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And right now, by faith, I invite the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, into my life. And I... Thank you that He can change me and He can help me walk the narrow way. And this morning, if you just prayed that prayer right where you are, would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? I just want to pray for you this morning as we close. Anyone like that today? Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Father, you know our hearts better than we do, for sure. You know about these who've raised a hand saying that they have prayed that prayer today to trust Jesus alone for their eternal destiny. We give you praise. You know their names. I don't need to say who they are. You know my name. By faith, I've been a child of yours since I was a child. And I thank you for the life I have in Jesus Christ. As do all those here today who truly know you, 
We give you praise for new life in Jesus Christ. And we find it a joy and a thrill to walk the narrow way. All to your glory. Amen. Amen. Please stand and sing with me. He knows my name. Sing with me. I have a maker. He formed my heart before even time began. My life was in his hand. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and he hears me Sing it once more. I have a father. He forms my heart. Verse 2. He'll never leave me. No chorus once more. He knows my name. He knows my every thought. He sees each tear that falls and he hears me when I call bless you. Have a wonderful week. Thank you for being here today. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday. So we have communion together and our family dinner.